0: The Pilot to Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. They have an amazing ground school app for the knowledge you need to fly. To learn more, visit LearnThefinerPoints.com. Navy Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to The Pilot to Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and normally I would be your host. But if you've been listening to this podcast, if this is your first time, you should go back, listen to all 200 episodes, and then come back because they're all great. But anyways, as you know, we've been doing a little bit of a race. What's going to come first? My son... Or episode 200. Well, episode 200 came before my son, but now that you are listening to this, my son has been bored. I am a new father. My wife and I are our new parents, and we are going to take a couple of weeks off. But good news is, the pilot, the pilot podcast, is not taking any breaks. I have five guest hosts coming on, and they are going to have incredible content. You might be wishing they come back and telling me to stay gone and just be gone and never come back. You did 200. It's enough. Let the others shine. So, well, we'll see. We'll cross that bridge when it comes to it. But I have five great episodes for you. And I cannot wait for you to hear these. Uh, As always, please check out Instagram pilot the pilot for all updates right now. The account is private. So if you missed out on following it, you don't know why go follow and you can see why. Uh, You can also see baby pictures, full-on baby content. It might just be a a new dad baby content Instagram. Check out Pilot's Coffee. We have some big things coming soon. I can't say much more. I might have hinted at it in a couple other episodes, but next couple weeks, maybe even by the time this episode's out or the next episode, so maybe 202, there should be some big news. But uh, check that out. And also go rate this podcast. Let more people find it. All that fun stuff. But Aviation, I don't want to keep you any longer. So without any further ado, here is a guest host of the Pilot to Pilot podcast.
1: All right, I'm happy to be here. Um, I'm also happy to introduce Juan Brown. Juan, welcome to the Pilot to Pilot podcast.
2: Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me on board.
1: Yeah, no, I'm happy you could be here. You are somebody that um, I have a lot of respect for. And one of the things I think that stands out in the flying that you do is you are a pilot's pilot, right? You're an airline pilot. You, I think you own two or three airplanes. <laughs> so when you're not flying, the airplane, quit. yeah, right. <laughs> when you're not flying the airliner, you're flying everything from a Cessna 310 to a Luscom. Um, I just thought maybe you could start by just giving us a little summary. What does your flying look like these
2: days? Right now, currently flying? Uh, so, a Boeing Triple Seven for a major airline out of Los Angeles, a right seat or a back seat. Sometimes FBFC is these are long haul international flights. I'm doing that primarily for the quality of life. I've been with the airlines now, this one airline for 23 years. I've got the option now. I can be a junior captain on a narrow body aircraft or a about the same level seniority first officer on a wide body aircraft. So for quality of life, less trips to the airport, you get more flying time done at once. Um, I'm bidding and staying on the Boeing 777 aircraft out of LA. And that's primarily London or Hong Kong. It it was some Sydney flying, real long haul. I mean, we're talking 16 hour flights. So that's where you get multiple pilots. Uh, uh, Sometimes you get paid to take a nap because you you have to rotate through uh, the different crew positions in order to facilitate those long haul flights. So that's the day job over at the airlines. And that requires a commute from Sacramento to Los Angeles as I live up here in the foothills about an hour away from uh, Sacramento. Um, And that commute can be a bit of a challenge uh, as there's there's often six of us pilots all vying for the one jump seat or whatever empty seats are available. That's something airline pilots can do is uh, uh, we have reciprocal jump seat privileges that allows us to get to work uh on other carriers so so that's the day job and then yeah i am just been a nut about aviation since i was a kid and so i've always kept my hands in general aviation which a lot of airline pilots don't do they they get up through the ranks and they get up into the airlines and then they just uh stay there and they pick up golfing or something completely different for their hobby and they they don't stay in touch with general aviation and the rest of aviation. And, uh, so I, I, I started in general aviation, then I went the military route and then on with the airline. So I just love all aspects of it. And, uh, so, so I got those three airplanes. I got the Luscom, which I've had for a while, which helped put the Blanco Lirio channel on the map when the Orville spillway failed. And I used the Luscombe to fly overhead and and document that story. And that story went viral and it put the channel on the map. And then eventually more and more questions started coming up about the little Luscombe, the little airplane I was using. And so the channel kind of started heading into aviation. I was kind of reluctant to get into aviation because it would, to me, I thought, oh, this is going to be too much like work. <laughs> I got to get everything exactly right. And uh, it's going to be a, a, a lot of work to 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 uh do aviation, but but it's turned out to be a, 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 a great thing to do in the end. So, And then they found out, well, what's your day job? And I said, the airlines. And then they had all kinds of questions about that. And then a wreck would happen. And then people would have all kinds of questions about that. So I'd start reporting on some of the more major accidents and the lessons that we could learn from those accidents. So... And then from that, from the earnings from this channel, I've been able to afford that Husky aircraft, that 1997 Aviat Husky. And uh, and now the 310 that the owner aged out of, um, <laughs> I'll take over the care and maintenance of that for now, as long as I can afford it. Because that's a very special aircraft here at our local airport that needs to be continued to uh, be preserved, 1959.
1: Yeah, I think you might want to consider a partner in that.
2: Yeah, Jason. Got- <laughs> like I told Jason, I'm feeling flush right now. Uh, I haven't done my first annual inspection on the 310, but I know when I pull that thing into the shop, it's going to be a heck of a shock. And right, uh, right. I even though I'm an A.M.P. and I can do a lot of the work, still, when you wheel that thing into a shop, they see 310 coming, and the the, the flat rate for that just starts. At right.
1: $5,000. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, back, back to the channel a little bit. One of the cool things about the Blanco Lirio channel, I think, is that it's like you're all over the road. I mean, I see everything. <laughs> well, I don't road. know if
2: that's good or bad, but I get bored real easy. And so.
1: <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, because, you know, you, so, you know so much about the history of California, about the waterways. And so, like, when you're talking about things like the, uh, the Oroville Dam and the, and the reservoir system in California, I mean, I just, I learn a ton about things that aren't necessarily aviation related, but you're using the plane to sort of give that perspective.
2: Yeah, that's been a whole the, the whole Oroville situation has has opened up the door to the entire drought situation, how we manage water here in California with the with the single biggest, most complicated water system probably in the world, the California aqueduct system. And then drought leads right away to wildfires as I'm living right in the middle, as you know now, what it's like to live in the middle of wildfire uh urban wildland interface uh, country. Um, We're very aware of the wildfires and one of the, like in aviation reporting, one of the hardest things in fire reporting is where in the heck is the fire? Right. How come we can't get any information exactly where the fire is right now? Well, it, when a fire first breaks out, they're all um, very much too busy responding to the fire. And then it takes a couple of days before they get the GIS systems worked up to be able to explain where the fire is. But if you can respond quickly in real time with local knowledge, you can help people get a very important and good understanding of where the heck the fire is and which direction is it going. Right, right. Um,
1: that is fascinating. Now, you, you have some history with CAL FIRE. Am I correct about that? Yeah, that's
2: right. Yeah. So through my flying history there um, started out civilian and it was some old uh, tanker pilots that the air tanker base that helped me get going with my civilian flying, bought that first airplane when I was 15 an old Taylorcraft, and soloed at 16 and got my license at 17. And then the old tanker pilots encouraged me to go cut my hair and go join airports ROTC. And <laughs> I did. And, um, Uh, they, uh, another funny quick story. The, I walk into the ROTC office with me and another buddy and our hair's down to there, you know, and uh, (laughs) they say, okay, boys, you think you want to join the Air Force? Go take this test and we'll see. And it was the officer's qualification test. And the first half of that whole test was all about flying stuff. It was all about like, um, like a private pilot written exam. And so I just whizzed through all of that. And then uh, they, they got the results back and they said, son, go cut your hair. We got a job for you. That's right. the highest score we've seen on this test uh, in, in years here. So go cut your hair. Be here on Monday.
1: Oh, that's and great. that led
2: to Air Force ROTC pilot scholarship and a pilot slot uh, into um, Air Force pilot training and. And then did the military thing. And that was a, a T-37 first assignment instructor pilot. <laughs> Another funny story. They said, "Uh, yeah, you're fighter qualified, but we don't have any fighters. Uh, Of course, there's one fighter assignment went to the general's kid, of course, for the whole class. Uh, Half of the class got washed out. And the rest of us, they said, you're fighter qualified, Brownie, but you can talk and fly at the same time. So you're going to be an instructor pilot.
1: Oh, wow. So (laughs) So, is that what you did in the. uh,
2: Yeah, yeah, T-37, first assignment instructor pilot, which most of us would rather not do. We wanted to get away from the training base because it was. It was so much hard work in one year of training that we wanted to go out and, and learn to fly fighters and do something operational, mission oriented, and not just sit around, and fly around the flagpole teaching young guys how to fly. But that's what we did.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, and do, then, do
1: you find that, like today, so just jumping back to the Bonk channel, when you make fire uh-huh. videos, it seems like you do have inside information. I mean, that's what's so. Right. You know, it's like you're, tell- you're talking about where they're doing the drops and what lines they're trying to hold and where the tankers are foreseeing things happening. I mean, really, it's a level of depth that I just don't find anywhere else. Is that because you can phone the CAL FIRE base or walk over there and talk to them?
2: Well, yeah. And I, I got so long and windy on that last explanation that I didn't explain that after I got out of the military, I got turned down twice by the airlines, but I did get picked up by the U.S. Forest Service to be a lead plane pilot. Train in training and it took at least a year of training. And so I got to fly the lead planes for the forest service. And that's what really gave me the inside story. I mean, I was fairly familiar with it growing up around it, but until you go and be a lead plane pilot and lead these tankers in on these drops and work a fire, it's just fascinating. A very, very interesting and obscure piece of aviation is to work fire aviation. And I'm coming in as a military pilot. I'm a, uh, I'm a little bit on the outside of that world, and I'll tell you the best fire pilot pilots on firefighting firefighting pilots are those pilots that are firefighters, wildland firefighters. Initially, you take a hotshot guy or somebody that's been working wildfire, you teach him to fly, and then you make him a lead plane pilot, and he's some of the those are some of the best lead plane pilots in the world today, and there's only a handful of these lead plane pilots in the world. And so that's what gave me the real special insight as to how all that worked. And then today, I still got all that network of connections, of people that I can contact. and But a lot of the shots that I'm calling when it comes to fire reporting are just based on intuition and experience with the fires and being able to predict how this to some degree, what the situation with this fire is going to be on day one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, it's really, it's really interesting stuff. And especially now that I live in in fire country, it's like that's my go-to for when there is a fire to figure out what's really going on.
0: Let's take a break from today's episode to hear from our sponsor, RAA. At RAA, they believe you deserve a team of experts who understand the specifics of your airline along with your personalized goals for the future. Because a solid financial plan needs to take all those factors into account. And after 30 years of serving pilots, RAA's airline specialized advisors understand the details and challenges that come with a life spent flying the line. From health and retirement benefits to the many factors that might affect your financial life and security. So whether you're just entering the airline industry or nearing your final flight, the team at RAA is ready to support your journey from takeoff to touchdown. Learn more about how RAA can address the financial challenges you face during your career and in retirement at raa.com forward slash pilot to pilot. That's pilot, T-O, pilot. And now back to today's episode. Um, and that's interesting. So, and you
1: think that the, the what you just said about being a firefighter first on the ground and then uh-huh. becoming a pilot, is that just because of the uh, intelligence, the awareness of where the ground ops are and... And all of yes. that sort of stuff and where the drop really needs to hit to be effective for the ground forces and stuff like that?
2: That's correct. The um, The firefighting is, is first and the flying is secondary. The flying, when you're flying on fires, the flying is absolutely um, second nature. You are just a part of the aircraft. It's just a tool. You are... You are working the fire and you and you get so used to working at 150 feet above the ground, right at Blue Line all day long, talking on multiple, multiple radios and coordinating all this activity. It's just a fascinating job that the flying has to be absolutely second nature to you. And it's the firefighting that, that comes first, because as a lead plane pilot, you're in charge of the air show. You get to determine, well, where can we best most effectively use this retardant. A common misconception is people think is uh, airplanes can put out a fire. They can't. They they don't. All we do, is, it's fire retardant. The pink stuff that we use, we don't use water. We'll explain that in a second. We use fire retardant. And like any use of air power that you learn in the military, you are merely supporting the troops on the ground. You are drawing a Temporary line of retardant to slow the advance of the fire such that you are buying time for the ground crews to dig a proper or bulldoze a proper containment line along the line of your retardant that you just laid. So it's just simply in support of of the ground troops and often that retardant is being dropped indirectly. It's not being dropped directly on the fire. It's an indirect attack on the fire water yeah you can put some water on hot spots and that's what helicopters are best used for but these wildfires today with 300 foot flame lengths there's no way nobody's going to be dropping anything on top of that kind of a fire <laughs> water retardant or anything directly so it's an indirect attack uh, use of air power and sometimes it's effective and sometimes it's you 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 got plan A and you've been working it all morning and then the fire spots over your line and all that work effort and risk is just shot and you back up, retreat, and then you're the next ridge over and it could go like that. Some days you're really working backwards and, um, and it's very expensive too for the taxpayer, this, this use of air power on these fires, but other times it's extremely effective. Uh, for example, that bridge fire there um, at the Forest Hill Bridge recently—they were—and a couple fires here, right, locally that we had—they were able to get that fire boxed in with retardant initially, both flanks and the head anchored at the heel, and that held. Yeah, and that yeah that kept the fire small, and that's a whole other issue.
1: Yeah, it seemed like that one was out almost immediately. But I mean, that's like what you just described is a really interesting part of learning what really happens there is that it's such a strategic battle, you know, like you, it looks to me like you pick your containment lines ahead of time, maybe like obviously before the fire gets there, you figure out where you're going to make your stand. Uh, You get the ground crews out there to start bulldozing those containment lines, use the fires to support them. And, you know, it's really strategic. So I would imagine, yeah, when the fire spots over something, it's got to be real disheartening
2: it's like losing the battle yeah. yeah um oh and another point is those where you're going to use the air power is very um dependent upon the visibility, the smoke. We got to find a portion of the fire that's got good visibility. You got to remain clear of the heavy smoke. You got to be able to drop in VFR conditions. And when we get these inversion layers in the morning, the smoke's laying down. There's nothing we can do. We can't get out there if it's less than VFR. We have not developed any sort of uh, night flying fixed wing capability. We're just now developing helicopters capability to drop at night using uh, night vision goggles and and uh, laser targeting. Very interesting technology, but not, not in the fixed wing. It's just far too dangerous.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And in general, it seems like it's really dangerous flying. I mean, I remember when I was younger, much younger, you know, I think 25, 26 years old, young flight instructor. I was up in Santa Rosa just sniffing around, trying to figure out how somebody gets into it. It seemed like I might yeah, you know, it's like I I would love to do that. You know, look at the equipment they're flying. I'm young, I'm adventurous, I'd love to throw in my service. And I can't remember exactly what the guy said, but he's like, unless you have like five thousand hours turbine time, you know, we're not even gonna look at you. It was some number that was so high to me, it was like three times what the airlines were requiring at the time mm-hmm. just to get into it. Um Yeah, it's
2: a unique skill set they're looking for. They're looking for mountain flying experience, they're looking for multi-engine PIC experience, fire experience. Um a&P type experience in the past was often a, a good thing to have. Um, it takes a unique skill set and then it takes a unique personale- personality. In the old days, it was like the the, the men that didn't fit in, the, the land of misfit toys, the pilots that, that, that were attracted to this were, were not cut out for the airlines, but they were sp- specifically qualified for firefighting. You've got... A lot of hours of sitting around and waiting. You're sitting alert at the air attack base. And so you got to be able to patiently wait for hours, days, and weeks without possibly turning a wheel for the um, balloon to go up and the alarm to go off before you go flying. So you got to be able to hang out with the guys without driving each other nuts and relatively not cramped quarters, yeah. but on, a, on an air attack base, you, you can't wander very far away. You've got to be there all summer long. And that means away from your family as well. And then they can launch you and you could be mm, off base or on assignment or gone for for a very, very long time, the schedules for those guys are getting improved and we are seeing some some good improvements in quality of life for those guys that they don't so justly deserve because yeah. up until now, it could, you could be gone for six days or flying for six days and have just one day off at a base far, far from home and then back on for six more days and yeah. fire season goes so long now.
1: Right, and if and let's so if you're somebody listening to this show or whatever, and you're young and you feel like you have some of those skills, what? How do you go about this? You just apply to the Department of Forest. Forest Man, Radio? it's
2: direct lobbying. You just got to get to networking directly with those guys. Go to the uh, air attack bases. Go meet the pilots. Go meet the contractors. Learn everything you can about the individual aircraft. It's not like you uh, you're gonna submit something online and expect a, a phone call. Uh, you need it's direct lobbying. It's who you know.
1: Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, so you did that for a bunch of years and then uh, got in with the airlines. Um, I was going to ask you if we can jump back to the airlines. I think it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So on these long international flights, you've got, mm-hmm. you said sometimes six crew members. Is there one captain? Like, is there somebody in charge? Are there two captains? I mean, how, how does that work? The chain of command when you have a crew that on way? On
2: an international flight. Yeah. Let's see, back to the firefighting. I did that just for the one year and then right away, finally the last airline <laughs> called it. I got the interview, got the job. Back to international flying. Um, So typically, uh, let's see, if it's between about eight and 12 hours, you'll have a three-man crew. If it's longer than 12 hours up to, well, I've flown up to 16 hours going to Sydney, for example, it'll be a four-person crew. And so on that crew, you'll typically have the one captain and then four first officers that have all past check rides to the ability to effectively be a captain because each of us will rotate through the left seat while the captain's taking his break. So you've got to be able to make the command decisions while the captain's off during his break. So, for example, if we're on a, uh, well, if we're on a three-man crew going to London, we'll break it up into three breaks. If we're on a four-man crew going to Sydney, we'll break it up into four equal breaks for takeoff and for landing all hands got to be on deck and this adds so i can't believe how interesting it is to have a second and third pilot watching over in between on the jump seat the two other pilots it's like going back to the flight engineer days you've got this amazing view of the world in that jump seat the big picture view you can see problems coming long before they even get there and you could say watch this let's see if these guys catch this or not and then <laughs> you then you catch it for them and you call it you just and 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 they're just so appreciative that you're there helping them stay focused because these are really long flights and by the time you come in to land you're just dog tired even though you're taking breaks and so it takes all four of us up there batting for a c minus to get this thing down safely and uh so so Takeoffs and landings were all there, and then, then from there, we'll decide we'll break it up into four equal breaks and, uh, on a four man crew, and uh, split up those breaks that way. And during your break, you uh, go back to a crew rest facility and try to sleep on the airplane. That's the biggest thing about international flying. If you cannot sleep on the airplane, international flying is not for you. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs>
2: Different unique flying jobs like hanging out at the tanker base for weeks at a time or being able to sleep on an airplane for international flying are some of the key elements that you wouldn't think about initially before you get the job.
1: Yeah. And it's sort of like sleep on command, right? Like so.
2: Yeah, man. And that's the weirdest. Yeah. And so do you want to be uh, the F.O. or the F.B. or the F.C.? And depending what crew position you get kind of determines what which crew break you're going to get. And you know, these routes, you know what time they take off. For example, we take off to London. We leave at five in the afternoon. Um, I know that as FB, the third pilot, I'm going to have to take the first break. So that means we take off at five in the afternoon by five 30 or six, bam, I got to lay down and try to sleep for three hours right away. That's very hard time of the day to, Force yourself to sleep. Yeah. So you lay there and toss and turn. About the time we get over the Rockies, the turbulence starts rocking like heck. And so you're trying to rest in this crew bug that's just shaking like crazy. And then you got to get up and be up for the rest of the night and the next morning flying into uh, London.
1: Yeah. And you on that have flight, to what, what time is it when you land in London
2: on a flight? Like it's that? local time there. It's about one or one o'clock in the uh, afternoon by the time we get over there. So we'll hop up. The London trips are. um, Great circle routes generally, so we'll take advantage of the jet stream going out of L.A. and take the maximum tailwind routing that gets us over to London. We're usually north of the NAT tracks, the tracks, so we're up over Greenland, Iceland, Mm -hmm. and then drop down into London. And then uh, coming home, we'll even fly further north to get out of the headwinds of the jet stream, and we'll go way up into Iceland, Greenland, and Canada and for example, this last trip, we came all the way down uh, Spokane, Washington, and then shot straight south uh, into Los Angeles for a for a great circle route. And again, a great circle is if you put that string on a globe and look at the shortest distance between two points is an arc, and, uh, it off, and it arcs up over Canada between LA and London.
1: Right, right. And what's that crew bunk like?
2: It's nice. On the 777, it's real nice. Uh, there's two small Barco lounger type seats and then a nice... Uh, lay down crew bunk facilities like a cab over camper and uh, a nice uh, mattress. And as FB or FC, you're uh, you're in charge of making the bunks before the flight and making them. We got new, fresh pillows and blankets each time. And um, a- and it's nice and dark. And it's above the it's above the seats in first class. So if you hear some weird thumping around <laughs> in, in seat one A and B, it's usually the, the the guy taking his shoes off for his for his crew break. Uh, in the bunk there. Um, and of course, intercom and oxygen and everything you need there. Um, and no windows. So a nice, cool, quiet place to, to rest up. Now I hear on the 787, it's not quite as nice. Oh. So as a result, some of us are saying, I don't want to bid the 787 because I hear the crew bunks breast facilities not as good as the triple seven. And so you it's know? odd things like that that make your career decisions. <laughs> right.
1: Right. It's the little stuff. <laughs> Yeah. And I guess one last question about international flying, like mm-hmm. all that, that weird sleep stuff, does it mess with yeah. your natural rhythms and it adds able to enjoy the the destination? Like, do you go out in London or is it basically just like, Hey, I recover just enough so I can get back on the plane and fly home.
2: Right. So you got to time your crew rest nicely. And that takes some experience trying to figure that out how to uh, manage your time on, while you're laying over. So I've found that uh, you land at one, if I'm the FB and I've basically been up all day and all night, I'll take a nap, but man, you got to make it a short nap. Don't oversleep. Just get a couple hours or so and then get up and then enjoy the, the evening. And you can roll pretty late into the evening there and then lay down and get a good 12 hours and then wake up and go to work. But then once again, there you are, uh, as if you are the FB position, the third pilot. Once again, after takeoff, you got to take the first break. Well, heck, I just woke up after sleeping for 12 hours. So now I'm trying to force myself to sleep again. So the accumulative effect of international flying is is very real. It's hard on your health. Um, You fly less trips per month. Uh, but if you fly a good if you and if you fly high time you it's gonna affect your quality of life and it takes a day or two back home to recover no chainsaws no 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 small airplane flying on day 1 a day 2 you you're you're starting to feel normal again and by day 3 you're you're ba- back to feeling normal back home but that now 4 days later 5 days later if you're flying high time it's time to turn around and go do it to yourself again
1: yeah. Yeah. That's gotta be rough. I look at some of the guys, like I have a friend that flies for Kalita, you know, they do the cargo stuff and he's all over the world mm-hmm. You know, and I just watch him on Instagram. He's really everywhere. Flying a seven forty
2: seven. Is the, he aging 40. before your very eyes? Can you see? Can you visually see a difference? Sometimes it's noticeable. It's hard on these guys.
1: Yeah, maybe he's super young. Like he's a really he got way ahead of it. Like you, I think um, he's flying for Cleveland now. He can't be more than twenty two. He's flying a 747. Oh wow, yeah, wow,
2: that's really young, huh? That <laughs> man, I could not imagine doing that for all from twenty two to sixty five. I'd be so burnt out on that. I mean. You want every international, you want every airline flight to be a nice, boring flight. And, right, and, right. and but then it's boring. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: that sort of leads me to my last, like a few last questions I want to ask you, which was, mm-hmm. you know, you do so much general aviation flying. Like, it's like a joke. You know, I figure whenever I want to find you, I could just drive out to the airport and circle the hangar. You're probably in there,
2: okay. um, Yeah.
1: you know, but um do you think that adds anything to the, to the airline flying? Like, I mean, what do you oh, think? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, just maybe speak on that a bit. Like what is staying involved in GA give you, you know? Yeah. It keep,
2: it keep gives you, it keeps your big picture awareness. It first off it, um, how do you say it? it you're well, if you're, if you're flying international, for example, on a triple seven, Well, first off, as FB or FC, you don't get any of the takeoffs or landings. I can go 90 days and not get a takeoff or landing. And I have to go back to the simulator to get my three takeoffs and landings uh, in the aircraft. You may not fly at all as a FO or captain. You're only flying for the first couple of minutes of the flight, hand flying the aircraft, that is. And then you got the autopilot on for all the rest of the flight until the last couple of minutes. Very little hand flying. So your hand flying skills atrophy greatly, especially international flying or just about almost any kind of airline flying. And so for me, keeping the Luscom keeps my eye hand skill coordination up and my Hand flying skills from atrophying to the point of not able to fly. If you took a straight airline pilot that has not kept his hand in general aviation, and you popped him in a uh, Cessna 172, for example, something really simple, he probably wouldn't be able to handle it the first wow. hour or so. He would have to really, and they're aware of that, and they most of them are aware of that, and they 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 either are into it or they avoid it altogether because they know that they're not current and qualified in these lighter aircraft. But I think by keeping my hand in it, it's it uh, greatly helps keep your your eye hand skill coordination set up up and running. And then it also keeps you a, a wider bigger picture view of aviation in general and trends and what's going on. Um, when you get to doing odd things in airlines like uh, the tower is closed or uncontrolled airspace or something like that, you got a grip on all that unlike the, uh, somebody who's just been flying doing nothing but flying the line because Of course, all airline flying is IFR all the time. Right, right.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, And I suppose, you know, you could say, well, look, it's apples and oranges. You know, this doesn't really affect that when I'm in the airline or I just have to perform my role. But I think that last thing you said is really important, like having that big picture sense of what's going on you know, and, and being able to see all of the details in a different way. I think it would be easy. Yep. I mean, I'm not an airline pilot, but I think it would be easy to get real tunnel vision on that one specific thing. If you didn't
2: stay in gear. Yep. Yep. It helps, helps to keep the big picture in mind. And yeah. In the end, it's just another airplane. It flies just like another airplane. Um, but we operate in a very, uh, confined box and rightfully so and a very well standardized box with the airlines that that's in the part 121 world why their safety record is is so so good yeah
1: yeah awesome well hey Juan, um if folks want to find you they can go to the blanco Lirio channel on youtube that's the best place right to find one yeah Mar- yeah that's
2: Where right does
1: blanco Lirio come from by the way ah
2: yeah the most often asked question uh in fact My Jenny, she's right out there beating the dog right now. (laughs) Be quiet, Sparky. Um, uh, (laughs) The the name comes from Jenny, my Jenny. She's from Spain. She wanted to get on YouTube one night, so she had to make up a name. And so she just made up the name Blanco Lirio, White Lily. And then I figured, well, I'm working for the airlines. I need to be anonymous. So I'll just post on my Jenny's channel this Bonco Lirio channel. So I started posting videos and then pretty soon, then that horrible thing went, went viral. And then all of a sudden it's too late to change it. I mean, yeah. I don't even know how you change the name of a YouTube channel without losing everything. And now it's a thing. I mean, it's a search engine that people are looking for this thing called Blanco Lirio, but it's just <laughs> simply a name that Jenny made up late one night, and and I and, I, and I'm stuck with <laughs> from yeah, here on out. I love
1: out. it. I love it. It's Say hi, good Jenny. <laughs> is that
2: true? Is that all true? Hi, that's Jenny.
1: There you yeah, <laughs> I well, you 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 actually white lily. I didn't know, so I I never I never bothered to look it up. So at least now I know Blanco Lirio is white. Lily.
2: Yeah, that's the literal translation of it. And it doesn't mean anything other than it was just a, a name that, that my Jenny made up. All right.
1: That's great. Well, hey, Juan, thanks so much for taking the time to join me here on Pilot to Pilot. Today,
2: so Excellent. Thanks, Jason. that has been a blast.
0: aV Nation, that is a wrap of the Pilot to Pilot podcast guest host edition. Uh, I don't know if this is one through five. I'm just recording one full swoop for all of this so this applies to all of them but thank you so much for the guest host for coming on it was a blast to share this podcast with them I, I have listened to each episode and they're all great great content and i'm so thankful for them to come on and let me take this break while my wife and i take care of our newborn son but check out pilots coffee check out pilot the pilot leave a review on itunes if you already did leave another review check out spotify there is a rumor that reviews are coming soon on spotify so check that out and leave a review as well But I hope you're having a great day and as always, happy fun.